I'm Shannon. I'm the executive pastor here at Northview. And if you're new or visiting, um, our senior pastor, Steve Mitchells, is on sabbatical this whole summer. So I'm filling in for the month of, month of June. Uh, John Hayes is actually sharing next week uh, his story and why he does what he does. Um, I, I, I'm, I can't wait. Um, hopefully he remembers my name. Um, and we've been walking through a um, series on neighboring, and I just realized I'm having a bad brain day today to John. Um, I apologize. I'm a little scattered today. Um, some people have bad hair days. I do have bad beard days. Today is a bad brain day. So if I am not communicating well, it's not my fault. That's my brain. So we've been in a series on neighboring, um, walking through the book, uh, The Art of Neighboring. Um, and my messages have paralleled the book, but not been dead on the book. So if you're interested on all, at all in this topic, um, it won't be like a rehash of what we're doing. It'll be uh, new and fresh in different ways. So I'd encourage you to pick up that book. Um, I'd even be happy to give away this copy if anybody wants it. So, uh, But in the book, um, we started out looking at... Oh, and I lost my confidence monitor. That does not give me confidence. <laughs> All right, so um, we've been talking about um, uh, who is my neighbor, and we started out with the story of the Good Samaritan, where we, we looked at um, neighboring 101, um, uh, really taking it back to kindergarten-level neighboring and um, showing care and concern and um, compassion for not just everybody out there that's our neighbor, but specifically our actual neighbors, our geographic neighbors. Um, And in doing that, um, looking at the process coming from stranger to acquaintance to relationship and even friendship with our neighbors. So I do want to mention later on this service, um, we haven't done this in this service yet, I wanted to have a sharing time where we could kind of share how this process, how this series has been going for you. Um, And so we'll have some mics floating around where you can maybe share a story about uh, some of your successes or your struggles or the opportunities that God has opened up for you even in the last couple of weeks. So um, just to give you a heads up and and let you get nervous about that. Because I know many of you have actually either emailed me or talked to me on Sundays and I know who you are, so I'll point you out. All right. So as we dig into neighboring um, and kind of our last week and fleshing it out a little bit more fully, um, I recognize that one of, the, one of the hurdles in getting to know our neighbors, one of the hurdles in actually building relationship with our neighbors is that they may not want relationship, that they don't want to be friends with us. They don't even want to know us. Uh, I was talking with... Um, Doug in first service, um, and they live over in Montana. They were here visiting today, and he said that they have um, well-posted signs around his neighbor's property about how um, you should get lost. And if you tried to actually go in and and talk to your neighbor on their property, that um, there's a good chance you might end up getting shot. (laughs) So he said that that's a different struggle in his neighborhood. Maybe that's not our reality, but at the same time, I do recognize that there are people that don't really want to be in relationship. Um, I think one of the reasons for that is 
just our motivation in approaching relationships. And so many of us, um, we've become uh, leery of the sales pitch, of the hook, um, where we're being sold something or, or there's ulterior motives um, to the ways that people connect with us. It happens in our mail. It happens with nearly every phone call we receive now. Um, and in a lot of aspects of life, it's, it's a, sales to get, uh, a sales pitch to get you hooked. So that ulterior motives um, are what people assume that we come with in trying to build a relationship, particularly if they know that you're a believer, if you're a Christian. Um, and so I, I just kind of wanted to define these real quick. Um, ulterior motives are um, where we do have, I guess, the good motivation. We want, we want people to come to know Jesus. We want people to experience the hope that he affords. But that's the sole reason for us doing it. And it's, it's the box to check off that I've talked about before, where really what it comes down to is people, if people see it as, well, this is for, for me that I'm doing this. I, I'm, I'm trying to help you for my own benefit. Um, and instead, I think we need to tr- transfer that from that, that perceived ulterior motive to ultimate motives. Um, ultimate motives being where, yeah, we do want people to know Jesus. We do people want people to, to experience the hope that he offers. But we're going we're gonna to show love and care and compassion regardless of that. And it's the love and care and compassion that, that we're the most intent on. And that's not for my benefit. It's for your benefit. Um, it's a subtle difference um, because it, we still have the same endpoint, but the ultimate motive allows for the freedom to love somebody that doesn't really want to love back. And particularly when we're talking about folks that, that put those walls up between um, us and them and, and, and in, uh, I guess stopping that relationship from growing, um, I would just offer one piece of advice and that is pray for them. Uh, I just know in, in my own experience, when I struggle with somebody, if I actually pray for them and for their good and for their benefit, God does this amazing work in my heart where it changes my heart towards them and I'm able to share that love in a better way. Um, and maybe that interaction it just isn't there, but you can still continue to pray um, uh, caring and compassion on them. Um, and God may work on their heart to open those doors. So it's not, um, it's not about relationships with strings. It's about relationships without strings attached. Before we jump into scripture this morning, would you um, spend a minute praying with me? Father, you know that uh, there are times where I just need to rely completely on you, that I try to communicate and share on my own terms and and in my own capacity and you know that that doesn't work and so this morning I pray Lord that you would be present in in my words and my thoughts and in my actions Um, Lord that I would communicate the truth of your word uh, appropriately and rightly Um, Lord would you use your Holy Spirit to impress upon each one of us um, conviction and comfort as we need it Lord, thanks for being here today. Thank you for your manifest presence among us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what I want to do is um, jump into Scripture to help clarify our role as neighbor. And I know this is a rehash, um, and a lot of the things that we'll be talking about are just saying what we've said another way. Um, I will say that I've 
put the boring in neighboring. That was a joke. Um, I've actually been waiting for four weeks to say that, um, to work that in somehow. I wish it would have gone over better. All right. Um, So if you've got your Bible, um, turn with me to, and sorry, my clicker's not working. There we go. Uh, To uh, Luke 10, 1 through 9. Um, And it's up on screen, and I'll read it for those of you that that maybe don't have your Bibles with you. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his, his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. So to kind of break some of this down, give some context and flesh out some of the concepts here, I, w- I wanted to kind of go through excuse me, go through verse by verse um, and hit some of the highlights. So he says, after this, and in the, the after this, what took place before um, was Jesus calling his disciples, uh, calling his disciples out. And um, you'll remember last week's message about uh, Levi, calling Levi out of the tax collector booth um, and making him one of his disciples, Matthew. Um, if you haven't heard any of the other messages that we've given on this or you've missed one, I'd encourage you to go back to our website and, and listen through, um, not because I sound really good or anything like that, because I probably don't, especially on the recordings, but um, it really sets up the context for this whole message. Um, each message builds on a, a, each other. So um, I'd encourage you to go back there. But um, he's calling his 12 disciples to him um, from different vocations. Uh, We had the tax collector last week and um, many of the disciples were fishermen. And these are from vocations and jobs and careers that prepared them uniquely for what he was going to ask them to do. Uh, I'm reminded of King David. And before David was ever king, he was a lowly shepherd boy. And shepherds were looked down upon. Um, But he had the... The, the responsibility of caring for his family's livelihood, his flock of sheep. And God used the lessons he learned there in caring for really dumb animals to make him king later on to shepherd his people. And people are really dumb animals sometimes. Um, but God actually says, when, I, when he wanted to make David king, he said, I want you to shepherd my people. He prepared him from this early place um, where he grew those skills that he would need later on. I think the same is true of the disciples. Um, in calling uh, Levi out as a tax collector, um, he was intimately aware of the issues of abuse and uh, power within their culture. Um, those disciples that were fishermen, uh, they had an understanding of, of what Jesus meant when he said, you know, gather people to him, um, just like it would be in pulling up the nets. They understood what they were being asked to do based on uh, their previous experience and the training that God put into their lives. 
So it's, with that context, we jump into this. Um, and uh, in Matthew, it talks about um, how Jesus sent out the 12, the 12 disciples. Uh, and here in Luke, he takes a little bit different perspective, and he's ta- talking about sending out the 72. So he appointed 72 others uh, to send out. And within his disciples, he's got the, the first ring of relationship with these other 72. These are also disciples and followers of his, and it's, he's, he's expanding that, that message and those rings of relationship out even further. And he's sending these people out to the towns around him um, to precede him. In verse 2, he goes on to talk about the Lord of the harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Uh, And I think it's important to to recognize his use of the Lord of the harvest as being his father. Um, It's God that ultimately is responsible for whatever work is done in the fields and the finished product, the harvest that he brings in. Um, He is the Lord of the harvest. In verse 3, he goes on, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And I, I get the visual picture here of uh, this, the wolves maybe in a pen or something and sending a lamb into that. It seems like insanity. Um, and from a lamb's point of view, there wouldn't be anything you'd rather not do than head into a group of wolves um, And in the Matthew version of this story where he's talking about the disciples, he goes significantly into the risks involved and the things that they were going to have to face. Um, Here he just uses this picture of lambs and wolves, and it just makes me, helps me to understand that um, what he's asking them to do is difficult and it's contrary to every desire that they have. Um, It's not their natural inclination to go where there are real risks. and to be able to do it, they have to accept and embrace vulnerability and humility and faith in the face of that risk. Those are the lambs among wolves. In verse 4, he says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Uh, he was telling them they needed to be in total reliance on God rather than on their own provisions. They were going to be fed. They were going to be taken care of. They didn't need to take... Uh, a spare set of tires for the flat they were going to have. He would take care of getting them there. Their primary purpose was to go and rely on God. And he goes further and says, do not greet anyone on the road. Uh, They had elaborate customs for how they they greeted each other when they passed somebody of like standing. Uh, But I think even beyond that, um, more than just crossing paths with somebody is as they're being sent out to towns and villages around the area they're going to pass up homes of people that they know and know well maybe it's family maybe it's good friends Um, and I think of us at Christmas um, and and I hear the stories of families that are run ragged by um, running from family obligation family obligation to to make sure everybody is good and happy and, and, and those are things we want to do of course uh, but there's a lot of obligation there too. And it's the same in their culture. If they passed a home where they had a friend or a neighbor that they knew uh, knew well, they were obligated to stop and spend time with them and have food with them and, and enjoy their hospitality because that's what was done. And Jesus is saying, don't greet anyone on the road. Don't stop for those things. He said, avoid safe relationships only. 
and those personal entanglements that we've already got. He said, avoid those things and make time for the costly ones, for the costly relationships. They have a primary purpose there. In verse 5, sorry, I'm one ahead. Uh, In verse 5, he says, um, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And uh, I have the need uh, to look these terms up to make sure I understand what they need. Because to me, peace means comfort. Peace means ease. Um, When I get done here today, I'm going to be at peace. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go home, sit down in a lawn chair and watch the baseball game. Um, to me, that's peace. But the biblical definition for peace looks a little bit different because it, it looks at things from, God, from God's perspective in that um, people, humanity, we're all sinners. We all choose to do things our own way apart from God's. Um, we don't always see things his way and we're going to do it the way we want to do it. God calls that sin. And that sin um, breaks us from relationship with him because God is a holy God. He's perfect and righteous and he can't exist with sin in relationship. And so there's this tension and this breaking of this peace. Um, we're divided from him. Um, so when it talks about first say peace, it's this understanding that um, to get back into relationship with God, we need to reconcile with him through repentance. We need to acknowledge the, the ways that we sin, the ways that we're wrong in order to come back into repentance with him, uh, into relationship with him. Um, they don't know it yet, but that's through Jesus and through Jesus' blood being shed for their sins that God brings them back into reconciliation. So peace is a reconciliation with God, with a God that we are at odds with, and it brings a peace of spirit evidenced in our lives and words. So he goes on to say and expand on that. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. So that that person of peace, um, that's kind of the hinge point for the message today, is, is looking at that person of peace. That person of peace is somebody that's receptive to God's message, that's receptive to that idea of reconciliation. Maybe they have reconciled with God already um, and they understand what that's about. That when you're seeking out this person of peace, it's somebody that has reconciled their lives with God. In verse 7, he says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Going back to the, the message on the tax collectors where Jesus had a big old banquet and a big old party with these tax collectors. They were sinners. These guys were, were messed up guys. And, and Jesus said that he saw eating and drinking as healing. He said it was sharing life and relationship with them, and that was just like healing. If you remember, uh, Luke 5.31 says, It is not the healthy... Oops, I've lost my page. There we go. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And he sees that that eating, that sharing life and relationship as healing the, with the, healing the sick. And certainly they actually did lay hands on and through the Holy Spirit were actually able to heal the sick. Um, 
But Jesus sees that health coming from relationships as well. And finally, he wraps it up. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. Um, and this, this idea of the kingdom of God, I, I wonder, as I read through this, is he talking about the end coming and, and Jesus establishes his kingdom with us? Um, and how is that near if they're you know, 2,000 years ago? But um, as I read through scripture, I, I understand the kingdom of God in a little bit different way. Um, Matthew 6.33 um, uh, the, the preceding uh, verses it talks about um, storing up treasures in heaven and it talks about the things we value here on earth it talks about worrying and about possessions and it goes through this, this, this litany of things that um, are examples of a different kingdom and then he says in Matthew 6.33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness as a different kingdom um, that's the kingdom of God is is where God is on the throne. And there's this other kingdom, um, it's the kingdom of self. And we know who's on the throne of that one. I am. Um, and so when it talks about the kingdom of God, it is this, this picture of who's on the throne. We're not on the throne, God's on the throne in, that, in, in this scenario. So when he tells them the kingdom of God is near to you, they are close to that understanding of God being on the throne and not me. Now, as I look at the whole of this, this message, um, I see three different types of people involved in, in this, this passage, in this process. Um, there is the disciple uh, who is like the evangelist. Um, one of the 72 being sent out. Um, they're tasked with kind of the missionary responsibility. They've got to go to where the people in need are. Um, they're traveling to the lost. They're sharing Christ's message as their primary function, almost as their job. And then you've got the person of peace that we've introduced. That person is reconciled with God, um, but they're stationary. They're in one spot. Um, they've developed a relationship with those around them through neighboring. Uh, they don't go from house to house, um, but uh, that, that disciple and evangelist m- meets them at their home and they rely on the networks, those relational networks that they've already established and they kind of become a hub of connectivity for spreading the gospel. It reminds me a little bit of what the Haiti group is doing right now. Um, in going down to share the good news of Jesus, um, they are, have partnered with a pastor down there. They're actually staying at his house. And he has established relationships with people in the neighborhood around him. So when they go on these prayer walks and they go door to door, they're actually relying on that pastor's relationship, pre-existing relationships. And they're bearing fruit through that. So that, that person of peace is kind of like a spiritual middleman. Um, they work on the neighboring aspect, but they also have to be aware of the evangelists and the disciples that are being sent to them and coming in to share the good news and kind of matching those things up. And maybe they even share the gospel themselves, but their role is slightly different in that. 
So their role is to watch for ways to connect their neighbors and relationships with the gospel through those expanding networks. They have to watch out for the evangelists, but they also have to watch out for the neighbors in need. And the third is those in need of Jesus. Uh, they're, they're lost and they haven't reconciled and they don't know the peace of right relationship with God. They don't understand repentance. Some of those people may be receptive to the truth. Some of those may be hostile. Um, but even after that evangelist, after the disciple leaves and goes back, they stay there within that community, within those relationships that they originally founded and they stay that person of peace. They're there dealing with um, their neighbors, whether they're receptive or hostile to the gospel. Uh, there's one small part that I skipped over um, in kind of going through that passage, uh, and it's it's coming. It's coming. I promise. There we go. Um, it's in this in this verse. It says. Um, that he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And I think that that's important, especially with understanding the Lord of the harvest, that Jesus was actually coming there to do the work. Um, And he chose people, probably not that much different than us, to go ahead of him. And I think that the people he chose, he chose not just for the benefit of uh, the people who needed Jesus in those towns, but he he chose them for their own benefit and for aligning aligning their hearts with his on purpose. I think he chose people like us to develop relationships that would soften the ground for planting in the people of peace too. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm not from Wisconsin. I can't claim some of the same things that Steve does. Um, the nearest object, object lesson I have for softening the ground and cultivating the ground um, is my own yard. And if you've ever been over to my house, um, I know Zach, our previous worship director, he, he would have classified it as a tragedy or a travesty. Because um, it really is. Uh, our yard slopes from the road down towards our house. And when we first moved into our house, uh, it was green grass, it was nice, it was lush, it was great. Um, and a friend of mine told me, Here's what you need to do to keep that green and to keep that going is you need to aerate the lawn. You know, you, you take that machine and it pulls plugs out and makes space in the ground so that air can get down to the roots of the grass and keep it healthy and grow. Like, all right, that sounds plausible. And he said, you know, the, the other thing you can do to help drain it Help, help with drainage so that it doesn't get swampy or anything like that. As you put a little sand on there, it goes down into those holes and it still allows air and water to flow down to the roots really well. Thought, wow, that sounds great. So we rented one of those big machines. Um, thankfully, didn't put a hole in my foot or anything, but went around the whole yard, um, pull all the plugs up. We put some sand down. It was great. And ever since that time, our yard, as soon as it turns sunny, is brown and crinkly and dead. Because what's happening is the soil has gone bad. We've replaced the good soil with sand and now it drains really quickly down to our house and no water stays up in the soil at the top. And so it is a travesty. It is, and it's just an ugly yard that doesn't show any good growth. So when we talk about 
God choosing people to develop relationships and soften the ground for for planting that cultivating that's kind of the image I have in my head and um, uh, it takes me to uh, Matthew 13 where um, Jesus is telling a parable about the sower and you probably have heard this or know this this story where um, there's a farmer or, or somebody planting seeds and he's going around and he's throwing the seeds down on the ground that needs to grow up a crop and there's different types of soil. There's, there's the pathway that's hard packed. There's a rocky soil. There's a weedy soil uh, and then there's good fertile ground. And he'll exp- he explains it um, when the disciples can't they can't understand what that means or what the purpose is behind that. He takes some time to explain it. And I'll read it for you here. It says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And oftentimes as I've read through that story, I put myself in the place of the sower. Right and how you really have to be careful where you're throwing the seed, where you're spreading the seed. You really only need to, to spread it on the good soil. But I don't think that that's what's true in light of what we've already talked about. I don't think that we're the sower. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. God is the sower. Um, our role is to help cultivate the ground. Um, as a person of peace, our relationship is to help remove the rocks, pull the weeds and till the soil that allow the seeds to grow unencumbered. It's not to take the place of the Lord, but to soften the soil through relationship and trust um, and to prepare the way for the, his action in their hearts. So then going back to those, those different people in that story, um, which is our role? Which one describes you in those people presented? Are you one of the sent? Are you one of the disciples? One of those evangelists where you go to the needy, you go where they're at, um, and you also need to understand who the grounded and stable relationship builders are to team with. Are you that person? Are you the person of peace? Are you the one that um, knows how to connect the lost and the needy near us um, with the active ways Jesus is moving through our lives? Are you present for the long run and watchful? Are you hospitable and build a hub based off the peace within you from your reconciliation with God? Or are you just simply in need of Jesus where you need to embrace his kingdom, put him on the throne and take yourself off? And if I'll say this, um, if you are that person, if you're in need of Jesus and maybe you don't even know who he is, um, you don't know what relationship with him looks like, come talk to me afterward or come up and talk to one of the worship team. Um, We can help flesh that out a little bit more fully for you. But as I look at these roles, I see see people that that are gifted in one area or another. Um, I see that, that 
in my own life, I'm probably called to each one in a different way. Uh, being a disciple in my job, being a person of, person of peace in my geography and in my neighborhood, but in my own heart, still needing Jesus. I mean, the truth is, I'm kind of all of those roles. So where are you at in that? What's your role? Are you the disciple? Are you the person of peace? Or are you in need of Jesus? So I'm going to call the worship team back up as I, as I wrap up here. But I think that it's important to share those stories. I think the stories and, and the, the life that you guys are experiencing, the opportunities for you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit are such that as you share those, I think that's as valuable as anything that I can say to you from up here. Um, so in, in wrapping up, I want to continue the magnet challenge. If you have not heard me talk about the magnet yet, grab one in the back. They're at the table on the way out. Um, if, you, if you haven't put it up in your house, put it up somewhere where it's visible so those little white squares can stab you in the heart every time you see it and know <laughs> that I don't know my neighbor's name. Um, the idea is for each one of these houses on the grid that you fill out the name of your neighbor, that you put in things that you know about them, facts about them, but then also um, digging a little deeper and finding out what's their motivation, what drives them, what's important to them. Um, It's only a tool. It is not a box to check off and get a little gold star by your name because you filled out all the grids, although I may do that um, (laughs) for you if that helps. Um, We still want to keep in mind our ultimate motivation um, and not go with ulterior motives. But that, that would be the, the, the continuing first part of the challenge, grab a magnet. Uh, the second part, much like where Audrey was talking about, we want to challenge everybody at Northview to have a block party this summer. Um, and you take that grid of people around you, um, whether you know their names or not, and host a party. Host a party at a gathering where you can bring them in and start building a relationship, get to know some names. Um, if you already have something existing in your neighborhood, join that. You don't need to recreate the wheel. Uh, but if there isn't, start something new. Um, so to do that, we need you to pick a date. This summer, we'd love you to pick a date to host a block party. And then um, go on our, our church website, and Monday morning we'll have a, a special place right on our main page where you can click on and let us know about your party. Um, we want to know when your date is and roughly how many people are coming and if we can help you. We have invitations uh, that are neatly graphicked out. We have name tags and things to make it look like you're a pro at this, that you do it all the time. Um, we can help you in that way. So let us know when it is. And we also want to be able to support you in prayer too um, in lifting you up. As a, as a staff, we pray every Monday, every Monday morning for prayer requests received from Sunday and any of the issues going on with our body. So pick a date, share your party with us, and then after you have it, let us know how it went. Share those stories, and uh, to that end, we have it's up there. It is up there. Um, we have a uh, Instagram handle at Northview Community, um, and you can use the hashtag uh, Art of Neighboring North or Enview um, to share pictures, post some of those st- stories, those successes, so that we can encourage each other. Because I think that that is vitally important as we want to do this as a group. Um, we get a whole lot of life out of sharing that with each other.
So, closing points. Um, number one, look for ways to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by defining our roles and recognizing opportunities for obedience and share the kingdom of God with others. Um, and for me, the key is cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring opportunities. He's going to give us nudges. Are we going to listen to those or pretend like we didn't hear them? Number two, be watchful for ways to connect people to others to fulfill our ultimate motivation. And that person of peace, always being watchful for the opportunities to connect the people in need around us with the evangelists. So maybe you are the evangelist. Maybe that's just bringing them to church or something safe like a car show that the church puts on this summer or a men's breakfast or something like that. Find ways to connect them with um, the gospel or a place that they can hear the gospel. And third, engage with our church body this summer to be encouraged and encourage each other. Um, let's share those stories. Let's encourage each other to dig deep into neighboring and fulfilling that commission where the law boils down to one single thing and that's loving our neighbor as ourselves. All right, would you pray with me as we close? Father, you, uh, you direct us to go. You ask us to go into areas that are risky and uncomfortable. Um, Lord, you do that so that we become more like you in humility and a love beyond ourselves. Thank you for your kingdom built on something higher than us. Lord, may we please you as we live out what you've asked of us and, and you've modeled for us through your son, Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.